All right, ladies and gentlemen, your guest today on the Kill Your Internet podcast is an Eagles reporter for NBC Sports Philadelphia, 94.1 WISP, and a beloved member of the Philadelphia music community. We have Ruben Frank with us today. Rube, how are we doing, buddy? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm outstanding, man. I got to say, we have a lot of guests on this podcast, but I don't remember the last time the band was as excited when I said I got Ruben Frank this week. They were really excited. I swear to God. Yeah, well, let's see what they're saying when we're done. They're going to be like, come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who's this guy? No, man, we're, we're a big, as far as bands go, we're big sports guys. Uh, I played college baseball. I'm, I'm a diehard Eagles. You can see a hat. I'm, I'm a four for four guy. So this is a, this is a big one for us. That's cool. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, a, it's amazing how many bands in Philly are sports fans. Dude, uh, I saw incredible. Me and my cousin, Eric, who is the other guitar player, are both from Northeast Philadelphia, born and raised. Jimmy's from Fishtown. Like, we're, we're a born and bred here band. So we grew up, you know, 700 level in the vet, man. That was our spot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's funny because, like, I'll be, I'll, be at the, I'll be at the Super Bowl and it'll be, like, fourth down and all this craziness is going on. And I'm really good friends with Dave Hawes, you know, Dave Hawes and the Mermaid. Yeah, dude, and, huge Dave Hawes fan. Oh, yeah, they're great. They're, they're amazing. I yeah, actually man. played keyboards with them a few times. Did you uh, do that with them at XPN Fest last year? Yeah, I did, yeah. Dude, we were there. I should have really? said it's up. Yeah, we, we, uh, we were the first band on that day. Yeah, I saw you guys. Dude, yeah. I just so first off, I we, we always start the interview with this question, as so, was well, especially in this circumstance. But as someone whose life revolves around sports and live music, what has quarantine been like for you? I, I, honestly, I mean, I miss I miss everything, but I can't complain, and I won't yeah. complain because, I mean, I have a job, I have food on the table, um, so there's a lot. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and complain about. It. I haven't seen a concert in in four months because I know, man. In the but big I, picture, you know. It's I, I tough mean, though, man. That's like such a large part of our lives, just like gone. But I, at the end of the day, we do have to be thankful that everybody's happy and healthy. That's all we can really ask for. Yeah. And, you know, I keep telling myself, like, by the time when this is over, it'll have been like, like 1% of my life. Yeah. You know? I, I, it's so, weird for us because, I mean, like, that's like, I guess how you'd say we put food on the table, but more than anything, I mean, that's what we've worked our whole lives for. We, you know go out there to kill ourselves on that stage and it is weird but it's been interesting in the perspective that it's given me time to just work on everything else you know what i mean so it's been yeah. fun it's been fun in certain perspectives but my main thing has been sports being gone has just been this giant gaping hole in my life yeah and you know for me it's like i was really i was really stoked for when the sixers and phillies would start up again yeah but I, i'm not i found that i'm not really enjoying it as much like it's, it's okay but it's not the same the Sixers have been just – I was listening to the Sixers when I was driving back home from the studio, and they kill me on a regular basis. That's my team. That's my squad. Uh, the Phillies, on the other hand, just kind of disappoint. It's, it, baseball's an odd product with no fans. It's, it's weird. Uh, it's been kind of a drag so far. Yeah, I think for me it's the fact that, like, sports is such an escape. Yeah. And when all they're talking about is COVID and this guy, they can't play this game. 100%. And there's no fans. It's like – I don't know. Is it even worth having it? And I guess it is, but it's not the same for me. I just don't want to hear about it while I'm watching that. It's the exactly. one time I just don't need to hear about it. Please. But it's like so intertwined in, in all the yeah. narratives. And I so. mean, especially if you're a play-by-play guy and there's, you know, you can't cut the like shots of the fans or anything like that. You got to kind of fill your time with, oh, what the hell can I talk about? I guess I'll talk about COVID. Yeah, and it's got to be tough for them. They're not even at the games. Oh, uh, you you watch guys like Tom McGinnis trying to do a radio broadcast from the center, and he's usually sitting right on the court side, sw yeah. like sweating on dudes. Yeah, 
I mean, so I guess that leads me. We'll start with where you are now, but I, I want to go back. How did you get into sports journalism? I don't even know. I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I got out of college and my parents were living in Mount Airy. So this is like the early eighties. Yeah. But I remember like soon after I, I, uh, soon after I moved here, I went to see the who and the clash that show at, at uh, JFK. Oh my God. Santana and the Hooters and, oh, and all those big guys. Hooters guy right here. Big Hooters I, guy. I right play here. with uh, David Seekenden. I play Dude, with him in the pocket. We are we are gonna have a long talk at the end of this podcast about your best memories as far as yeah. like live shows. But all right, so continue. You're, yeah. You're- so I, I needed a job, so I moved in with my parents in Mount Airy, and uh, I just started applying for every job I could find. And one of them was with I, I applied for like two hundred jobs. Like I would. Wow. That was back when you would open up the Sunday Inquirer. Yeah. And there'd be like like fifty pages of classified. So I applied for everything. I just needed a job, and. I got an interview at this little newspaper in Woodbury, New Jersey called the Gloucester County times. It doesn't even exist anymore. So I was like, I I called them up and they said, well, you know, good luck. We have 200 applications. I'm like, (laughs) I got no shot. So then I'm like, I got to find a way to set myself apart. So I went to, I don't think they even had staples yet. I went to like an office supply store and I bought like (laughs) the biggest envelope I could find. Like it was like five feet. It was like artists send like their paintings and stuff. (laughs) So, I figured that way, like I send my stuff to them and it would stand out from the other 200. It's a brilliant idea. <laughs> so they got the pot. So they go in the meeting. I found this later and they sit down and like the one envelope's like bigger than all the other ones. So like, let's open that one first. And they saw, and, and then they called me and they brought me in for an interview and I got the job and I, I covered like high school, dude, I covered high I covered little league. I oh my God. Little league. I covered like, you name it. I covered the opening of trout season down in Mullica Hill every year. <laughs> I was low man on the totem pole. Dude, they literally said, this guy sent us a publisher's clearinghouse check. <laughs> We're going to put him on whatever the fuck we can. Dude, that's amazing. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It was good. I mean, it's like you really you learn to be humble. I was making 200 bucks a week and, you know, living in Glassboro in a, in a, in a, in a one room in a house uh, with a Builds bunch of character, guys. man. We all have yeah. to cut our teeth one way or another. It's true. It's like, you know, I mean, you talk to any band that's big or most bands, you know, playing clubs is where you, you know, where you learn how to be a band. Dude, we've been, we've been just up until recently, it, it feels like we've been running our head against the wall for five years. And to, to be completely honest, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love it. I love the, the, the little wins. It makes me yeah. think about bands that kind of get put on right away. Like, do you have the same appreciation for what you're doing? I'm sure they do, but I mean, like, I don't know how yeah. I would have handled I don't know how yeah. 22-year-old Colin would have handled going through what we're going through right now. You know what I mean? So yeah. it all happens for a reason. I find it amazing, though, you know, you see most people in sports media or just in media in general who, who like, I don't know, like fret over every little thing. And you just happen to, like, kind of walk your way into it and, and work your way up. Like, it's kind of an amazing thing. Well, that's what you used to be able to do. Like, now, like, and I think most most pro sports writers don't don't have that, like, you know, they don't have that kind of like start at the bottom and work your way up, you know? Yeah. So, um, and there's a lot of good people out there, but for me, it's what I needed. Right. You know? And then in, in 1988, I you know, they just said our Eagles writer, Phil Sheridan, who's in, in from Bucks County. Yeah. I know Phil Sheridan. Yeah. Phil's the best. So he's like my best friend in the world. And Phil and I have gone to like a thousand concerts. Phil, Phil turned me on to got it by voices. So I'm forever indebted. Wait, so Phil, Phil is Phil is as wrapped up in the music scene oh, as you are? Oh man, yeah, Phil, Phil, and I have. I mean, we we literally. I grew up going to shows, going yeah. to the Kyber with Phil, that going to Dobbs, 
with Phil Chestnut Cabaret. Rest in peace to Daisy Dobbs, man. I've had good. I I, we had some good times there. The best. I Dude. loved that. So yeah. So so he became the columnist, and they asked me if I wanted to be the Eagles writer, and I said yeah. And then I've been doing it ever since. And I, I went gonna... to Comcast in in 2010. So 88 is kind of an yeah. odd time for the Eagles. Uh, looking back at it, and the, I guess you've seen it all. You've lived through all of this. I mean, getting your start with the Eagles back in those – who was the coach at that time? Cotite? Or who was the coach at that time? No, that was Buddy. I covered last two oh, years. Oh, Buddy. Buddy. And then Cotite. So, uh, it was – I mean, I was so lucky that all those personalities, Reggie White, Eric Allen. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better team. And especially with a coaching staff, you have personalities all over the place. All over the place. Like, and imagine if there was Twitter back then. Like, you know, Buddy just <laughs> – it would have been unbelievable. Buddy but, would have been fired in a week for saying something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. Uh, but it was cool because – and I don't think I really appreciated – because I was just starting out. I didn't appreciate exactly – I knew Reggie White was a great player, but uh, I, I'm a kid and I'm covering the greatest Eagle ever. I mean, seriously. and Because for me, my, in like the way my brain is framed, Brian Dawkins will always be my all-time Eagle. But looking back at it, because when I was growing up, Reggie White was known to me as a Packer. I didn't get to see him as, a, as an Eagle. Yeah, but yeah. looking back, holy shit, I can't even believe he was an Eagle. Like, to you, I guess that leads me to one of my questions. And you don't have to get as specific. You don't want to in- insult anybody on the team right now. But who's your favorite player to have covered? My favorite player to cover uh, was, I would say, either Randall or Eric Allen. Okay. See, Randall's a good choice. I, I and, and once again, growing up too, I didn't get to see Randall as much. If I saw Randall, I was I was a baby. But um, yeah. I remember Randall as a as a as a Viking. Like it's amazing right. to me. Like so, you're looking back at those times, and and you're leading up through. I mean, Ray Rhodes. You go through Andy Reid. Now you're a Doug Peterson, and the whole gamut. What was that Andy Reid era like? Uh, it was cool because, you know, Andy's a good guy and we became pretty good friends. And, uh, you know, I think it was, it was interesting to, to watch. It just kept getting so close oh. and just driving people crazy. And, uh, you, know, you know, there was so much drama. I mean, the whole T.O. thing and, and uh, you know, it must have been was, like a soap opera going to work every day. It was crazy, but it was always something, but they were always good. So yeah. it was always like the last thing you want to do is cover a team. That's average. Like it's really fun covering a shitty team, right? Fun covering a great team, but like nobody cares when you're eight and eight, but the Eagles are never eight and eight. They're no. always like 11 and five or like four and 12. I mean, working in the Philadelphia market too, I think it, I've, I've come to the conclusion, like we as a band have come to a conclusion because we always talk about it. I think the national media has picked up on the fact that we just freak out about everything. So they do things like the Carson Wentz, like top hundred list. Like to me, like I, I the number one era of time that I look back on and, and like, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for was the Chip Kelly era because I'll admit I fucking drank the Chip Kelly Kool-Aid. I thought he was yeah, going to be too. the savior. Everybody did. <laughs> Dude, he landed, he landed in Northeast Airport where me and yeah. my cousin Eric, we are from two minutes from there. And Eric okay. went and stood outside the plane when Chip <laughs> got off the plane. Like, what was it like for the Chip Kelly era? Like, I feel like I'm in the fucking locker room right now. I was tracking his plane on, like, <laughs> what's it called? FlightAware.com? Yeah. You know? I was like, all right, Chip's <laughs> landed. I was sitting in the – you know, there's a Starbucks right across the street from the airport. Dude, yeah, I've been to that Starbucks many yeah. times. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, like, tracking his flight and, like, trying to look through the, the, the fence and everything. But, um, no, it was cool because – and, like, those fir- the first two years, I mean, it was working. 
You know, think about the like the Michael Vick, like the Sean Jackson first game in in Washington when yeah. he's throwing bombs, scored like fifty points. Like I remember just thinking, like, oh my god, we did it, we outsmarted the NFL. And then like three years later, I was like, God damn it, we're back to <laughs> Well, the problem was he was such he had all these innovative ideas, but then then he started getting rid of all good players. Like like so as a coach, he was pretty good, but as a GM, he was shit. I mean, so, dude, Deshaun, LaShawn, like, there were so many guys that came and went that you were like, Nick these Foles. are Eagles for life. <laughs> yeah, Nick Foles. That was a fucking misstep, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, I mean, I, we just couldn't believe it was happening. I thought it was going to I thought it was gonna continue, but he treated people like shit, too. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, that was, numerous times. Yeah, and that was, the, that was really the root of the problem. He just, he thought that he could treat people like shit and get away with it, and they would still, you know, it just didn't work. It's obviously backfired on him since because he's out there winning two games a year with UCLA, so. But, I mean, you look at guys like, and it, I give, like, the Eagles a lot of credit for this because we've kept guys around. You think about guys who played for Chip and had to live through that. I mean, even some guys who played for Andy, like, I mean, Jason Peters, you think about Jason Kelsey, like, all these guys. And then they live up through the Doug Peterson era. Give me an idea of what it was like to cover the Super Bowl, like just that whole year. Because I, I know for myself, I cried twice that year. I cried when Carson blew his ACL out, and my then girlfriend, now wife, had to watch me lay across my bed, bawling my eyes out. Because I was like, "You don't get it." I was like, "This was our fucking year. We're thirteen and three. Like, and then I cried for four days when we won the Super Bowl. Like, what was that like as as someone who's been a part of the Eagles organization on the outskirts for a long time to see it actually happen? Yeah, it was. I already said. I always said I'm never gonna retire until I cover Super Bowl. That a win, because <laughs> like I was there in '04, you know, when they lost. But um, it was surreal. Like the whole scene in Minneapolis, building up to it, there was no doubt in my mind they were gonna win that game. I totally agree with that. And and I'll tell you what, I, I've always been a big Nick Foles guy. And the day he got hurt, I remember standing there in the hallway at LA Coliseum talking to Nick, and. Like he made, he, like people wanted to start Nate Sudfeld in the playoffs because, oh my God, <laughs> you know, because Foles didn't do a lot at, you know, after he placed Carson. No, but, he didn't even do a lot week one of the playoffs. I mean, that was a tough game. No, we, we barely yeah. skated out against Atlanta. Did enough. But yeah, but then the next <laughs> two weeks. But, but anyway, I remember having an epiphany. I'm standing there in LA Coliseum and Nick's talking and, and Malcolm Jenkins start, goes off in the hallway about, we weren't even allowed in the locker room because this stadium so old so yeah. we're in the hallway talking to malcolm and he's like he's like you did you guys watch nick in 2013 like did yeah. you see the throws he made once he got comfortable once he had a week to prepare like and i started thinking all right they're the number one seed or i think they they clinched a buy that in that la game and then yeah they, they did the number one seed the next week but i'm thinking all they have to do is is win probably win two home games and they're in a Super Bowl. Nick Foles threw 27 touchdowns and two picks. He can win two games. Yes, he can. And I, and I, I remember flying back on the red eye from L.A. after Carson. I'm a huge Carson guy, but I yeah. remember thinking, they're going to win the fucking Super Bowl with Nick Foles. <laughs> and I was so sure of it. And I wrote a column about it, which, I, I mean, I read back. I read back now, and I'm like, I, I don't know how I knew that. But there was no doubt in my mind because that was a team. That, that wasn't one guy. That was a team. That was a team. And, and when you have 53 guys working together for one goal, that's what's possible. It was very odd because, you know, I at that point in time, the band, we were kind of in our Nashville phase. We were down there. We were working a lot. And I, I'm a songwriter, too, so I was down there working on Music Row a lot. And so I never felt disconnected from the, the city. I still live here. My wife lives here, and, and I was back and forth a lot. But 
there was this moment in time, and I think it was probably like right after Carson got hurt and we saw Nick win. We, we clinched the, the first seed, and I just felt this fucking overwhelming love of my goddamn city. And I was like, dude, we're going to do it. We're going to fucking do it. And I de- I'm dead serious. I never in my life cr- – I've never cried in front of my wife up until that point. I <laughs> cried for four straight days. I cry- I woke up crying the next day. I cried at the parade. I, cry- I- It was just – I think because you're you're from the area, you've been in the area long enough, you know what this means. And I can't believe the city's still standing, to be completely honest, because I always said if the birds win one, Philadelphia is gone. We're going to fucking blow this place up. You know when I cried, dude, the next day, so it's Monday morning, and, and they have a press conference with the Super Bowl MVP at 8 o'clock, in the, and it was in the Mall of America. And um, I asked Nick, I asked Nick something like, um, what do you want people to, to, to take away? What, what do you want people to learn from your journey? Um, you know, almost retiring, getting cut by the, uh, by the Rams, just the whole, you know, getting benched, everything. And he went on this whole thing about how he wanted to inspire people. And that's why he was put on the earth. And, oh. um, and he was, and, and it got really quiet in the room. And, um, and I've, I'm sitting there and uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm sobbing. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it was such an emotional moment. And just to know that, like, sometimes I ask really dumbass questions. Of course. But for most of the time. But that moment, I knew what to ask, and I knew the answer would be profound. And I remember seeing that quote on, I think it was like Good Morning America or some, one of them shows. And they, they like, they, they flashed the whole quote. And I'm thinking, if I didn't ask him that, that would never have existed. And I was so proud that I was a part of, of Nick kind of expressing those thoughts and I'm uh it, it was so emotional for me and I'm getting I'm, choked up right now dude I swear to god this is like look, I, I, I get like, I, I get on a flight uh like an hour I went right from that press conference to the airport I get on a flight to Philly from Minneapolis I go up to the Starbucks I I, I do a lot of my writing in Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks that's, yeah. that's a recurring theme here yeah. so I'm sitting in the Starbucks on Street Road in uh, in Southampton and it's only like it's like two o'clock yeah eastern time and a guy comes in, he's like, oh, Rube, what a game. That was incredible. He says, did you see Nick, what Nick Foles said this morning? I was like, well, I, <laughs> yeah. I asked him that. Uh, yeah. Was, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was when I lost it because I was so happy for Nick. Uh, he's like one of, the, one of the best people ever. And it's unbelievable. It feels like his, like, arc, it, if there was a movie right now, like the arc for Nick ended perfectly with that, and there was kind of this peaceful, like, okay, now Nick can go and do whatever he needs to do. I'd welcome him back with open arms, but I mean, like he, he did what he was supposed to do. And I mean, like the moment when I really lost it was when I woke up the next morning and I still didn't believe that it actually happened. And I peeked my head out from under the covers and I look at our bedroom TV and it's just a slow-mo on sports center of the confetti falling on Nick Foles. And I just started whimpering and I pulled the covers over my head and, <laughs> and my wife was like, dude, are you serious? Like you're still crying. And I was like, I can't help it. I, it made me think about my grandma. My grandma lived in Phil. Her family came from Italy and she lived in Philadelphia until she was 83, passed away, never saw a Super Bowl, watched the game every Sunday with her. Dude, I, it's just it's a different relationship between the birds and the city. It, it really is. And that's what people outside Philly don't get is that. Yeah. And that's what I got more than anything after the Super Bowl was people telling me, you know, I, I grew up going to games with my dad, with my grandpa, and they never saw it. And this is for them. And, you know, Philly's different because people grow up in the same neighborhood as their parents and grandparents in the same, sometimes the same house. 
And so being an Eagles fan is passed down generation to generation. It's like a family heirloom. It's like, you know, it's like a, a, a piece of jewelry or, or a Absolutely. ring or something. I mean, I think about it. Don't get that. I, I I mark most of the, like the moments in my life by what was going on. Like if you like say like, uh, 2004 i was like uh sixth grade i was like i was in my neighbor's basement and freaking out but you like each of these moments i remember like uh sophomore year of college like watching the first game washington versus the eagles it was chip's first year and being in the gym at westchester university and watching that game and stopping with the entire gym and watching it like everything in my life is marked by what the eagles are doing and so i guess that leads are we gonna have an eagle season this year rube I used to shoot hoops in that gym back when uh, Eagle Eagles training camp was oh, in yeah. uh, in Westchester. Yeah, man. Yeah, we used to go over to that gym, the one on campus, not the one down. Yeah, down South Campus. Head. Yeah, because we yeah. used to work out for the baseball team down in the South Campus gym. But they yeah. put a beautiful new gym when I was a senior up on the regular campus. It's a great place, man. Shout out Westchester University. My daughter went to Westchester. She just graduated. So really, yeah, it was funny because she her her condo senior year was right across the street from Farrell Stadium. So Oh, really? I would go, you know, drop off like, you know, whatever groceries or whatever yeah, she needed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm right across the street from where I watched Reggie and Randall. Unbelievable. And like right across the street from where training camp was. So it was it always brought back a lot of memories. You're right across the street from the place they used to make us run and I would throw up every morning at six AM. That's great. <laughs> and then go up that go up that hill back to the field house. Yeah. Dude, and they used to punish us because I was a catcher. So they would make the catchers because we were all fucking out of shape make us run the hill <laughs> that was our thing um dude so looking at it now we have no idea whether or not there's going to be an nfl season and especially yeah. the number one news story last week was the fact that doug was the one who tested positive what what's the vibe you're getting right i don't want to break news or anything like that what's the vibe you're getting down there no i i think um you know players are scared i mean players are are apprehensive uh i think if it wasn't for the I mean, look, I can't imagine a Sunday in the fall without football. Me neither. But I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how you can safely do it. You can't social distance when you're playing football. Football, And especially because you got to think about it. There's a 53-man roster. You really think, you you know, what, basketball, you're carrying like nine guys and a couple trainers. There's got to be like close to 80, 90 people on the sideline for every game. And you got to have all those guys traveling like do you have any like vision? Is is there going to be a bubble? Or are they going to try and do it? Or are they just going to say, they, fuck it, let's go? I think, you know what I think they did? I think the NFL, like when this all started in March, like the NBA and the NHL and baseball all had a plan. Right. Like, or at least the NBA and the NHL did, right? We're, gonna, <laughs> MLB we're going to have no Florida. idea. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, so they had a bubble. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, you're good. They had a plan. NFL's plan was, oh, by, by August, it'll be gone. And then they never really had a plan. So. Nope. I don't know how you like football is a tackle game. Yeah. Like you can't, how, how do you, if, if one guy has it, everyone's going to have it. If you're an offensive lineman, you're shoulder to shoulder for three hours. Like there's no way to like yeah. social distance in football. And there's a running joke in the band that we're like, NFL doesn't even give a shit. Like they're just, the NFL's a machine. Like they're not going to care one way or the other. I think you're right. I just feel, I kind of feel for the players in the perspective. You're seeing a lot of guys opt out. And the, have the Eagles had anybody opt out yet? Uh, just Marquise Goodwin. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, he has a, a son with an issue, correct? Well, he had, you know, they had they had some issues. Uh, he's they got a daughter who's healthy. That's but, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't want to. He just wants to be with his wife and, I, and his family. Understandable, I, I, man. I totally don't blame him. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot of money at stake. Like for yeah. every week 
that the NFL plays, I think it's $320 million in TV revenue is generated. Yeah, they're so, playing. <laughs> they're playing yeah, one way so or the other. So I think the NFL is like, well, if we can get like four weeks out of this, you know, each team's going to make $50 million or whatever it is. I think that's the way they're looking at it. I don't think anybody believes they can play 16 games. I mean, you got to think about it too. Like I was, I bartended in center city for like four years and every Sunday we were wall to wall. You think about all the revenue in the city that's going to be lost from people going out to watch games and shit like that. It's, it's, it's really crazy to think about where we're at right now, but I mean, where's your bartend? uh, City tap house at 18th and arch. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Great times. That There was a side corner bar that was my bar on Sundays, and I was the bartender who wouldn't pay attention to you because my back would be turned the whole time watching the game. <laughs> so uh, they stopped letting me work on the yeah. – I was not allowed to work. I'm, I've the, never been in a bar during an Eagles game. Man, <laughs> you know what? I would say if it, there was a case come through and I would take care of you. But, um, yeah, <laughs> they stopped letting me work during the playoffs because I, I just – I was a mess. I was like – I remember this very specifically. It was this. It was the – not the division round or the division round of we were playing Atlanta the Super Bowl year and end of the game fourth down got Julio Jones in the corner of the end zone I was on the ground in the corner not looking I was literally on the ground there's like 400 people in the bar and after that I looked at my manager Jocelyn I said never let me work never, never <laughs> let me work a playoff game again she's like fucking fine please don't ever work. <laughs> so, so I guess we've covered sports and this leads me to the other we've had a we've had people from we've had people from barstool sports we've had people from bands like different sides of the music industry we've never had somebody who's had this duality of being a diehard music guy a musician and also cover sports so let's go into the other side. Let's go into the music side. Dude, how did this happen? How did you become such a diehard music guy? I mean, that's that's what I was born and raised on. So yeah. I always played in bands, cover bands, and I went to college. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just goofed around with it. And then, um, you know, it's like sports is great. And I love sports. But sometimes I need, you know, you need an escape. Of course, and man. I started going to shows. And I never stopped. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> obviously. In 2017, my friend John and I went to th- we we were we 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 made a bet to see who could see more shows that year. <laughs> That's a hell of a and, bet. Uh, How'd you yeah, do? We, we bet a beer. We seriously. Oh, okay. That's not bad. We bet a one fucking beer. I saw <laughs> I saw 383 bands, not Jesus including Christ. not including doubles. Like I saw some bands like five times that year. Oh my god! Um, he finished at three. He finished at 368. Um, but he got to 300 first, so he kind of considers himself the winner. But yeah, I ended up with more, so I think I'm the winner. So Did you buy each other a beer? Like, what's yeah, the deal? Well, here? we bought each other many. many yeah, beers. I thought so. Yeah. So, so I mean, you, yeah. you you obviously go to a ton of shows, like, and this is an impossible question. Give me like one or two of your best concert memories. Well, Guided by Voices, the final show, 2004 in Chicago at the Metro. Wow! Tickets sold out in five seconds. I, I was <laughs> I was at training camp at Lehigh actually in a in a in a lunch place called Deja Brew. Like I couldn't believe I got tickets for that. Um, they played four hours, and then I was on a was on a six a.m. flight. The show ended at <laughs> three a.m. I took a cab right to the airport, flew home, and went right to the Eagles, right, right to Eagles practice. Oh, I had a boy. <laughs> the next day, they're all like, yeah, why is Ruba asleep over there? I, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was a wreck, but I got through it. Um, so that was, that was amazing. I mean, they play, I think they played like 68 songs that night. It oh was incredible. Um, you know, this past year, you guys played, I think, at the uh, Philly Music Festival. Yeah, we did. Uh, we, that I did Greg that, Seltzer puts together. That was uh, four days before I got married. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, it was right before. I remember Greg asking us to do that, and I was, like, looking at the calendar, <laughs> and I said yes. And then I remember, like, for, like, four months putting it off that I was telling my then-fiance, I was like, by the way. How'd that go also, over? Fine, I, I guess. It was good. Really? Like, she, yeah, because that was a fun show, too. That was wall-to-wall upstairs at – You were um, upstairs. I was there. Yeah, but, man, uh, that was fun. But what happened was the night before, and Greg's the best. I, oh, he's I, a great I guy, just man. Appreciate him so much. Yeah, he does so much for the Philly music community. But he had scheduled RFA and, and Restorations, who are two of my favorite bands. Great bands, RFA are our buddies. Good yeah, guys. Yeah, they're the best. I, I've seen them like fifteen times. I, I knew you loved RFA too. I played with them at Underground Arts one night. Really? I played two songs. Uh, yeah, Will let me uh, sit in on keys for a couple songs. You know you're doing that the second week and come back, right? When Absolutely. You're, yeah, I, you're gonna. I, I, I got the song picked out already too. Bro, we already, we're already a seven piece band. Throw another one up there. What's the difference? <laughs> let's go. We're gonna do Black Coffee because it's got Yo, a great, great go. organ part, right? We wrote but that. It, we wrote that in Nashville. We did that one in Nashville. We had session players come in to play the keys on that. That's a. Oh, that's is that a, right? Yeah, that cool keyboard sound. But anyway, so so um, RFA and Restorations. You guys played Saturday, if I remember. We did. So Greg scheduled RFA and Restorations for Friday night because he knew I wouldn't be away at an Eagles game. Oh. But as it turned out, they scheduled the Eagles Packers Thursday night at Lambeau. So I'm like, oh. Greg, I'm I'm. It's a night game in Green Bay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to make it. And he's like, Well, you got to make it. I scheduled them back to back. So. I literally, we, we left Lambeau field like two in the morning. I had a, I had a 6am flight out of Appleton, Wisconsin airport, which is like the size of a Wawa. It's this tiny little airport in a thunderstorm. We fly to Chicago, connect to Chicago to Philly, get to Philly, like around noon, go to work, go to the Novacare, cover Doug Peterson's press conference, go to my little coffee shop right by world cafe live and, uh, and work until the thing started. Go see. I've, I have not slept. (laughs) so i went from a night game at lambo on thursday night to world cafe live on friday and to see restorations and rfa and a couple other bands driving home i was so delirious i was so tired i thought i saw i'm driving actually through bucks county uh right near my right near my house and i thought i saw like a giant super highway over my over (laughs) like in the woods and I'm like, man, why, when did they build a highway here? I was like having hallucinations. Yeah, you were having fun at the fe- you were having fun at the festival, probably weren't you? I, I didn't have one beer because I was so <laughs> I knew I was going to fall asleep. And I'm yeah. driving, and then I thought I saw an airplane landing right over me. Oh my god! But it was so did worth you went to sleep for like 17 hours after that. Um, yeah, at least. But <laughs> it was worth it because, yeah. And the, the one other thing, I saw the Pretenders do a free at noon. Oh, wow. And then I flew. I had a, I had a 4 o'clock flight to Seattle for the Eagles Seahawks game. And I got into Seattle because you get three hours back. I, I landed around right. 8. And I went to a venue called the, uh, the, the, tri- the Triple Door in okay. Seattle and saw James McMurtry that night. So I saw, the, I saw the Pretenders in Philly and James McMurtry in Seattle the same day. Yeah, that God, thank God for time differences, dude. <laughs> dude, big Chrissy Hine guy. I would love – I've never seen The Pretenders, but I would love to. Yeah, that you, was really cool. Yeah. Do you remember your first show? It was, yes, Madison Square Garden. Wow. Yeah, probably 74. And I was so stupid. I went with my friend and his older brother, and we didn't know that there were encores. Oh, so like, so- so the show ends, and we're like, we leave. And so we get to school the next day. We all have our Yes t-shirts on. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. like, dude, how cool was the encore? 
I'm like, like, what the fuck is an encore? I'm like, oh yeah, the encore was cool. What's, yeah. He's like, you can you believe at, they fucking played Starship Trooper? <laughs> you look like, at your buddy like, what the fuck is an encore, dude? Yeah, never I did. I did the same thing, though. It was my second concert ever. I was 12. Uh, I don't know how the hell we swung this, but me and my buddy Grant went to uh, see Tom Petty and the Allman Brothers at wow. the then Tweeter Center. Uh, and Grant's dad just dropped us off. We literally sat in the lawn. I have no idea how the fuck that flew, but uh, me and me and Grant, like it was towards the end of the night, and all I wanted to see Tom Petty do was play "You Wreck Me," and he didn't play it. And I was like, "Well, fuck. Well, whatever." It was it was an amazing show. He's incredible. We, we walk out into the into the parking lot. We're waiting for Grant's dad, and all of a sudden, I hear "You Wreck Me" in the in the, in the distance. And twelve year old Colin just like, "I don't even know what the fuck is going on." Dude. Like, oh man! But no, yes is a great first concert. Like, do you, do you remember like the moment you kind of like? I've asked this to different musicians, but like the, the moment you kind of knew you fell in love with music, like, do you remember as a kid, the first record you heard and you were like, holy shit, this is like, yeah, my thing. you know what? It was, it was the first 45 I ever bought as a kid. It was build me up buttercup. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was probably like eight or seven or something. Yeah. And like, it's got the piano intro, you know? And um, like I was, I was taking piano lessons and I, I sat down and I had like, I had a little like, LP like a little record player and I, I remember like ha, like playing it and then like trying to play it on the piano like I had this, the turntable next to the piano and I'm like and and that's when like man I can I can play this music like because like the, the the music that I was playing the piano lessons was like all crappy you know right yeah so I was like this is really resonating me I can play the freaking foundations on the piano and that was the moment. I still remember sitting at that little, I had a little spin at piano in my house in Teaneck, New Jersey. And like that realization that I can make music. This is really fucking cool. My moment was uh, my dad. So my dad was a musician. We never talked about it when I was a kid. And uh, one day I was in the crawl space of my grandma's house and I found a Fender Stratocaster in the case, beautiful case. I still actually put my Strat in that case today. But, wow. uh, and I said to my dad, I was like, yo, what is this? Did you, did you play this? And he's like, I used to, but like, you want to learn and i was like yeah and he taught me uh turn the page by bob seeger and that from that moment on i was like okay this is my fucking thing like how old are you i was eight i was eight when i started playing guitar i was nine when i started playing drums and i haven't stopped since and it's uh it's you know what man sports is my escape because obviously music is my life but music there's nothing like it man it, it's just I, I die for it. It's I, I guess that's the way I would put it at this point, but it's just my, it's, it's the thing that gets me up in the morning and it's, it's cool to see someone who isn't necessarily, you know, making their bones off it, but someone who loves it as much as you do. Well, I'll tell you what, the, you know, I've had a chance to play with like Dave from the Hooters and, uh, and Ben Arnold and, and RFA and Dave Hawes. I mean, there's nothing like it. You nope. can't beat that feeling. Like we played exponential last year. Yeah, dude. And being up there with that crowd and that atmosphere and that vibe, and the sound was fucking incredible. Yeah, you guys were on the big stage, too. Yeah, we were on the big stage. We played right after RFA and right before Lucy Dacus. Oh, my so, God. What a Dude, first off, that whole – XPN does just an absolutely – Unbelievable. I want to give a shout-out quickly. Bruce Warren's a former guest. Bruce Warren is one of my favorite human beings alive. But just to be there that day, because, I mean, Loka Connie was that weekend. Um, I mean, Blondie, fucking Hosier, uh, Japanese Breakfast, uh, Rustin Kelly was that weekend. What an incredible lineup, yeah. man. Rustin Kelly's the best. I love Rustin Kelly. Yeah, um, and like every year I go, I'm like, I'm turned on to like five new bands that I, I never really listened to before, you know? I mean, like, I, 
I got to meet um, Raylan Baxter. Do you know Raylan Baxter by any oh, chance? God, he's incredible. Dude, the best part was too, because I, I follow I, I follow Raylan Baxter online and everything like that. And I'm like, this guy is a fucking weirdo, but I love his music. And then to meet him and have a conversation with him was the exact same guy. Like I remember walking up to him being like, yo, huge fan, like fucking love your music. And he looked at me and he said something real spacey and then just like laughed. And I was like, holy shit, he's the same <laughs> fucking guy. Like, this is awesome. Um, so we're getting so down I got to tell you my, my Raylan Baxter story real quick. Beautiful. Um, saw, saw him play. And um, after the show, it was at World Cafe. It was, I think it was the free at noon. And um, so I'm talking to the bass player because he looked really familiar. And uh, I'm talking to the bass player after the show. And um, he was in a band called Desert Noises. Really? From, uh, from, from Utah, who, who was great. So we were talking about Desert Noises. He's like, yeah, we're probably not going to be doing anything anymore. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, this dude looks really familiar. And his name is Tyler. I'm like, this guy looks really familiar. So, so we're talking for a while. And then he goes off somewhere else. And I start Googling him on my phone. I Google like Tyler, Desert Noises, Raylan Baxter. And this guy's name is Tyler Osmond. And he's the son of Alan Osmond, who's Donnie Osmond's brother. He's one of the Osmond brothers. I guess if he's from Utah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> if he's from Utah and he's got beautiful teeth and he's an Osmond. So I'm sta- I was standing there talking to freaking Donnie Osmond's nephew who's playing bass <laughs> for Raylan Baxter. <laughs> Dude, what, what's your biggest, I, I asked this question, but what's your biggest oh shit moment where you were like, and this is not sports related, I'm talking strictly music, but you're standing near somebody and you're like, I cannot fucking believe that I'm speaking to this person or I'm, or I'm near this person. Yeah, well, I'm going to go way back in time. Like, you know, like once you've interviewed, you know, like, like I don't really get. The shine wears off a little bit, right? But like, you know, because they're just people, you know, you just kind of, they're just people. But um, when I was 18, I was working in a record store in in White Plains, New York. And we got uh, tickets to see Boston at Nassau Coliseum at like the height, the height of, um, you know, like more than a feeling. I'm a big Boston guy. Oh, they're the best. And um, so we're sitting there, and I'm there with the manager from my record store and my girlfriend, uh, Idy Goldenberg. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we recognize, my, my manager recognizes the guy next to us from like trade magazines that he works for Epic Records. And he's a big A&R guy, Roy Free, who actually used to work with Helen Light's husband. A little really? I learned, I learned like 40 years later from, from Helen. But anyway, yeah, it's all connected. So Always, the show dude. ends. So Boston killed it. They were unbelievable. One of the best shows I've ever seen. So after the show, the guy, the guy Ray Free says, hey, you guys want to come backstage and meet the band? Oh, my God. I'm 18. Yeah. <laughs> and I got my girlfriend, and we go backstage at Nassau Coliseum, and Tom Schultz never came out, but the other guys came out. And, like, and I mean, they were like – It's a very lead explain. singer thing to do is not to come yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> but the other guys were so nice and, like, so accommodating. And they just – you know, they were just talking to us and hanging out and taking pictures. And, and it was just – it was a great night. And uh, that was probably – and I'll tell you what. I was backstage at Spoon last year at the BBT. Oh, I love Spoon. I got to meet um, – well, Britt da- Brit Daniel, who's incredible, but um, – the whole band. I mean, Jim Eno. I mean, I was and that just, was that was Spoon Cage the Elephant and Beck, right? Yeah, and I That's and I met Jason lineup. Faulkner too. Who oh, was, awesome! And what a nice guy he is. Because um, uh, Sunflower Bean, you know, the girl um, yep. Julia, her dad. I'm friends with her dad. He recognized Jason Faulkner out, out in the concession area, and he came over. We hung out with Jason Faulkner for a while and talked about jellyfish, and it was a cool <laughs> night. But but um, Alex Fischel plays keyboards for Spoon and guitar. Yeah. Incredible musician. 
and I got to meet him. And like, I was like, that song Inside Out, man, how do you play that synth riff? So he, he, he starts showing me on a, on a amp, on a freaking amp head. He starts like <laughs> showing me the fingering. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, all right, you cross over like two to four and like, you just keep crossing up. Like that was a cool moment. I was like, you know, I, Alex freaking fish. I'm man. really glad I asked you that question. Those are two <laughs> really good fucking answers. Hey, Rube, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. I'm so glad you came on. Yeah. You know, I, I love doing it. And, uh, I'm glad I I, uh, I got to get to know you. We're going to play some music uh, as soon as this thing's over. Yes, sir. And uh, I'll start practicing. What key do you guys play uh, live, Black Coffee? Black Coffee's an E. We play it's an open E. e. Yeah, so yeah. start working on it now, dude. We'll just let you rip it live. You got it. I can't wait. Uh, Rube, we will have you back on soon, buddy. I'm so glad we did this. Go Birds. Good to see you, man. Take care, man. All right, Rube.